3: Hey, everybody, it's AG, and welcome to Refried Beans, where we play an episode of the Daily Beans podcast from the same week, either one, two, or three years ago, so we can see how far we've come. So please enjoy this episode from days gone by, and note the date in the intro.
4: Refried beans. I like refried beans. That's why I want to try fried beans, because maybe they're just as good, and we're we're wasting time. (laughs)
3: Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. Today, the select committee on 1-6 has subpoenaed Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell and Boris Epstein. The 1-6 committee has also obtained the phone records of both Eric Trump and Kimberly Guilfoyle. A January 6th defendant's court filing indicates the Department of Justice is trying to establish the involvement of Donald Trump in obstructing an official proceeding. Former Trump administration officials meet up to discuss how to kick him out of the party. And Ginny Thomas signed a letter saying those who attacked the Capitol did nothing wrong. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello. Happy Wednesday, my friend. It seems all the news is just
2: right now breaking all of a sudden. Of course it is, because you finished the script for today and then it was like, boom. But, ooh, there's <laughs> some hot, hot news today. <laughs> yeah. And I was sitting around most of the day
3: like, well hope something big happens. I literally texted. <laughs> this is your fault. This is absolutely. You did this. I literally texted Joelle, you know, who does all our our website stuff. And I was like, well, hope something big happens in the next 30 minutes or, you know, we don't have much of a show. And then boom, bam. Yeah. So we're going to discuss all that. And then later in the show, I'm going to be talking with the host of Justice Matters, Glenn Kirshner, about the news of the day. And uh, something that's just now breaking and developing phone records for Eric Trump and Kimberly Guilfoyle are in the hands of the 1-6 committee. These aren't the content of phone calls and text messages, just when they were sent and from where. So that should help them kind of put together a little bit of a timeline. And so that's the developing story, there isn't much
2: more else to that story other than they have them and ha ha ha. (laughs) So, (laughs) Which also I think is going to make people nervous. And if that is what comes out of it right now, great. Yeah. And the cool thing is, I mean, cool, you know, relatively speaking, absolutely, <laughs> is
3: that they can't object to this. There's no you know, you can't. sue. I mean, they could sue, but they already have these records. They they subpoenaed them from a third party. They don't really have any say in whether these records are handed over or not. And so it makes you wonder who else's records do they have already? We, we've heard, you know, tell that. They were looking into Trump Jr. and, you know, a couple other people surrounding that. But these are the first ones that we've heard of directly that they have in their hands. So we'll see where that goes. All right. All right. Now on to the rest of the news that's also just breaking (laughs) with the hot notes. Hot notes. (laughs) All right. January 6th Select Committee has subpoenaed Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell and Boris Epstein. In the subpoena to Rudy, I've read all four subpoenas, all four letters. The committee says, quote, according to public reporting on January 6th and in the days prior, you were in contact with then President Trump and members of Congress regarding strategies for delaying or overturning the results of the 2020 election. Huh. Hmm. Obstructing an official proceeding. The footnote, by the way, to that little statement points to reporting that he was at the Willard on January 5th. That he has said to a Republican senator, just try to slow it down. And then it references other documents on file with the select committee. And we know about that Willard reporting from uh, our friend Hugo Lowell about, well, at least about the phone calls. You know, he was the one to break the story about the phone calls from Rudy to Rudy from the White House. Now, in the subpoena to Jenna Ellis, traffic court lady, they raised the seven state conspiracy. Benny Thompson says you actively promoted claims of election fraud on behalf of former President Trump sought to convince state legislators to take steps to overturn the election results. State legislators to overturn election results. According to public reporting, they continue, you prepared and circulated two memos purporting to analyze the constitutional authority for Vice President Pence to reject or delay counting electoral votes from states that had submitted alternate slates of electors. There's that key phrase. That's that whole Seven state conspiracy. Now for Boris Epstein, who's just been we've been talking about this <laughs> asshole for years. <laughs> uh, the committee says he published reports of placed you at the meetings at the Willard Hotel in the days leading up to January 6th. And you are reported to have participated in a call with former President Trump on the morning of January 6th, during which options were discussed to delay the certification of election results in light of Vice President Pence's unwillingness to deny or delay certification. So they have evidence of that. What could it be if they have evidence of a phone call between Boris and Trump? That means somebody at the Willard is talking. Whoopsie. And finally, I was really looking forward to reading Sidney Powell's because, you know, we went over yesterday how 27 of her plaintiffs in the Kraken lawsuits were also signed fake electors on those forged certificates and that she is currently under federal criminal investigation in the Department of Justice. In D.C., there's a federal grand jury headed up by Molly Gaston, assistant U.S. attorney there, to handle these, uh, you know, politically charged 1-6 investigations criminally, DOJ. And they say the select committee's investigation has revealed credible evidence that you publicly promoted claims that the 2020 election was stolen and participated in attempts to disrupt or delay the certification of election results based on your allegations between mid-November 2020 and January 6, 2021, and thereafter, You actively promoted claims of election fraud on behalf of the former president in litigation and in public appearances. The select committee seeks evidence you relied upon in making those claims. There is none. And according to public reporting in December 2020, you urged President Trump to direct the seizure of voting machines around the country to find evidence that foreign adversaries had hacked those machines and altered the results of the election. And that's the whole, you know, she's been sued for her slander, for her defamy of, of Dominion, as has Rudy Giuliani, for like $1.6 billion. Now, the letter doesn't mention the fact that 27 of her plaintiffs also forged certificates or signatories on those forged election documents. I've reached out to my contacts in the committee to make sure that they know. I'm sure they're aware And there's also something else I want to consider here. And this isn't in the script. I'm going to go off script a little bit here and put some beans on this because if the committee is working with the Department of Justice Mm -hmm. to ensure that they don't fuck up the Department of Justice criminal investigation into Sidney Powell, there may be some things that they've been instructed not to
2: discuss with her. Absolutely.
3: I don't know that to be the case, but I find it, since it's mentioned in the other letters, this, you know, the seven state conspiracy, I find it, glaringly absent from this one. And I don't know if that means if that's because of they're investigating Sidney Powell criminally, if that means they're not investigating the other people, Rudy Giuliani, etc., criminally for that seven state conspiracy. It's just interesting that it it wasn't mentioned. Now they you know, they did say, you know, you tried to obstruct the proceeding based on your, you know, election lies and your bullshit lawsuits, but they they didn't mention those plaintiffs. And I thought I thought that wasn't so anyway, I've reached out to my
2: lines in the committee and said, just, you know, I'm sure they know, but in just in case,
3: you know, let them know.
2: Well, I look forward to hearing what you hear back mm-hmm. Me too. from your lines. Now, this is a raw story. So it's been less than a week since 11 Oath Keepers were arrested with seditious conspiracy. But the spouse of Justice Clarence Thomas leaves that quote, they have done nothing wrong. Now, yeah, Charlie Sykes pointed out to a letter signed by Ginny Thomas, along with many other fringe conservatives like the Family Research Council, the chair of the Tea Party Patriots Fund, and the president of the Club of Growth. The letter speaks out against Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, who serve on the January 6th committee, which bothers Republicans who believe the GOP should be unified in protecting those who participated in the coup as three retired U.S. Army generals characterized it. So, and this is a quote, the actions of Reps Cheney and Kinzinger on behalf of House Democrats have given supposedly bipartisan justification to an overtly partisan political persecution Mm. that brings disrespect to this. This is the part that brings disrespect to our country's rule of law, legal harassment to private citizens who have done nothing wrong and which demeans the standing of the House. Now, that was the letter that Thomas signed. Mm. Yes.
3: They're demeaning the House, not yes, like Jim ex- Jordan or Matt Gates, sex trafficking minors <laughs> or anything, or Marjorie Taylor Greene being fined. Now, I think like $75,000 for refusing to wear a mask all the time. It's, it's them. It's Kinzinger and Cheney.
2: OK, of course. Now, this adds to the questions about Mrs. Thomas that surfaced after the attacks at this U.S. Capitol on January 6th. So on January 6th, she was supporting the violence as it unfolded on her social media. When screen captures were being circulated, she promptly deleted her Facebook account as long crime observed at the time. So she was circulating these, And as soon as she got caught, she was like, no, 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 no. And this is a quote. Even worse, however, is the fact that no matter how far his wife takes her antics, Justice Thomas will likely not face any real repercussions for it. And that CNN noted in their expose of Mrs. Thomas went on to say under federal law, justices must recuse themselves from cases in which they're impartiality might reasonably be questioned, and I, I do think this is such case, or where their spouse has an interest that could be substantially affected by the outcome. However, such recusals almost never happen on the Supreme Court. The reality is that while Congress can impeach justices for egregious conduct, a step not taken since 1805, there's no real mechanism for enforcing ethical rules against them.
3: Mm, Kavanaugh.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. I like beer.
3: Up next, Brandon Straka, a Donald Trump ally who spoke at the January 5th Stop the Steal rally in D.C. and has since pleaded guilty for joining the mob that stormed onto the grounds of the U.S. Capitol the next day, has provided investigators with information they say may impact the government's sentencing recommendation. That's an indication that Straka, one of the few January 6th defendants who is also of interest to congressional investigators, is cooperating with prosecutors in a substantive way. And today, Straka lawyers filed a response to the government sentencing memo that happened a week ago, and they did this in D.C. District Court. Their filing, Straka's lawyer's filing, says before the court is the sentencing of defendant for a single misdemeanor violation of 40 U.S. Code Section 5104E2D, disorderly conduct on the Capitol grounds. On this Class B misdemeanor, the government filed a 30-page sentencing position filled with hyperbolic rhetoric, out-of-context statements of defendant, and non-relevant conduct designed to stoke political flames. The government fixates on the defendant's social media following and is apparently attempting to make a public example of a prominent Trump-supporting influencer. In its brief, the government attacks defendant's constitutionally protected speech, beliefs, and activities. Okay, I've read, by the way, the government's sentencing memo. It does none of that. This particular filing goes on to say, defendant accepts full responsibility for his conduct at the Capitol has expressed remorse for entering restricted capital grounds and evaluating an appropriate sentence for this offense. The following factors weigh heavily. One, he didn't enter the capital; Two, he didn't engage in any violence. Three, he didn't possess any weapons. And four, he accepted early responsibility for his conduct and voluntarily submitted to three separate government interviews. And then the bombshell. <laughs> the lawyer says during those interviews of Brandon Stracca, The government was focused on establishing an organized conspiracy between the defendant, President Donald J. Trump, and allies of the former president to disrupt the joint session of Congress on January 6th. Huh. Look at that. Now, the attorney went on to say Straka denied the existence of such a plot and then cited a since-debunked Reuters article alleging the FBI has found scant evidence that the U.S. Capitol attack was coordinated. (laughs) It was. He insists the government is trying to make an example of Straka, like I said. And as we know, we have clear evidence the Capitol attack was fucking coordinated, if not by Straka and Trump specifically, at least by domestic terrorists like the Oath Keepers who are now charged with seditious conspiracy. But the key statement here is the feds are investigating Trump's role in the attack on the Capitol. The government asked for four months in their sentencing recommendation, four months of prison time because Straka is high profile. He's got like a quarter of a million followers. He had calls for an uprising and a civil war on January 6th leading up to the attack. His lawyers argue that that is somehow protected speech. They also say his calls for a revolution during his rally speech on 1-5 are protected and that the government should only consider what he did on the day of the attack. And they're asking for no prison time. He's actually spent two days in jail and they want to call that time served. Oh, good Lord. But during the attack, he prodded rioters to storm the Capitol. And there's a video of him encouraging rioters to take a shield away from officers by
2: force. His lawyer doesn't think that should count Against him, either. We'll see what happens. (laughs) I really do have to wonder why these people went to law school. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Last story in this segment around three dozen, okay, three dozen former Trump administration officials, disillusioned with their former boss and concerned about his impact on the GOP and the nation, they held a conference call last Monday to discuss efforts to fend off his efforts to, in their view, erode the democratic process, several participants told CNN. So these are firsthand accounts. The only items the group seemed to agree upon in its first meeting, however, were that they're not sure what their way forward should be and that they are way behind in the efforts of former President Donald Trump and his allies to set the stage for 2022, 2024 and beyond. Now, the high ranking participants was former White House Chief of Staff and retired Marine General John Kelly. He told CNN that because of prior commitment, he was only able to monitor about 10 minutes of the call, which lasted about an hour. Why do I feel like that was a really poor decision? <laughs> Other participants included the former Trump White House Communications Director Alyssa Farrah Griffin. She's actually now a CNN political commentator. We've got Scaramucci on the call. Yeah, the call lasted five scare emojis, uh, which is interesting. <laughs> We've got former Homeland Security and counterterrorism advisor to Vice President Pence, Olivia Troy, was on the call. Former Department of Homeland Security official Elizabeth Newman and former director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, Chris Krebs. This is among others. We got Stephanie Grisham, who first publicly discussed this group a couple of weeks ago on CNN's New Day, was not on the call because she was sick with COVID-19 Although she told CNN she is engaged with the group. Now, in this unofficial group, which has no name, membership, or specific goals as of right now, AG, no direction or anything at all, if they hope to have any impact, eh, they need to act quickly. From coast to coast, Trump is actively supporting candidates who support his lies, that the 2020 presidential election was stolen and are seeking to replace both Democrats and conservative Republicans who followed the law, the U.S. Constitution, and the facts regarding the election. And we've seen this. We just talked about it yesterday where a Republican candidate is not accepting his 80 to 20 percent defeat in a Democratic area. So we can see the effects of this. And and this group, as well-meaning as they are, seems to have no fucking direction right now.
3: No, no. And, you know, he's supporting all kinds of candidates who want to be secretaries of state and heads of election counting in States like Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, you know, just whatever random key swing states that he lost in 2020. But yeah, so this is, uh, you know, very big news day. That's very big news. And we will be, as usual, following all of this. And I'll be uh, back right after this to talk about it with Glenn Kirshner, host of Justice Matters. We're going to discuss the news of the day. Stick around.
0: After these messages, will be
3: Everybody, welcome back. I'm joined today by the host of Justice Matters, one of the most important, I guess, YouTube shows. Is that what you would call it? I guess. And uh, podcasts out there. It's Glenn Kirshner. Hi, my friend. How are you? Hey, hey, G. how are you? I was waiting all day for news to break so I could write a script for a show today. And then right at the end of the day, for some reason, bam, 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 we got all these uh, stories. Now, I will say this, though. Earlier on today, Hugo Lowell from The Guardian who I've spoken to on several occasions, said that it looks like members of the 1-6 committee are perhaps reticent to subpoena members of Congress who were involved in the insurrection because it, you know, they're afraid of payback from the Republicans next year as though Republicans next year aren't just going to do all this stuff anyway.
4: Go hard or go home. Because is there anybody in their right mind who would say, you know what, maybe if we play nice with the Republicans, maybe if we decline to subpoena members of Congress who plainly have information relevant to the insurrection, maybe the Republicans will treat the Dems well when and if they take power. I mean, what kind of special insanity is that? Of course, the Republicans are going to mistreat. You know, they beat the Democrats like a rented mule every chance they get. And they're going to do it again when they take power, regardless of whether the Dems play hard or play soft right now. They have to play hard. And we can forever debate and discuss and, you know, legal naval gaze the question of can Congress subpoena one of its own? There's no answer to that question. Importantly, there's no prohibition. There's no law. There's no statute. There's no case precedent that says Congress can't do it. Inferentially, I would suggest that leads to the the conclusion Congress can do it. But there's only one dang way to find out. Do it. Just like we need to start considering fighting corruptly delivered presidential pardons. You don't know what you don't know. Get these things into the courts. Get some precedent, AG, so we're not finding ourselves in the same position a year from now, four years from now, 10 years from now.
3: Yeah. And to tell you, about a week ago, I might have said, uh, oh, you know what? What if you subpoena them? And because they're members of Congress or because of certain clauses in the Constitution, speech or debate clause, the Department of Justice is reticent to actually indict them for criminal contempt. And even if they do, by the way, it's a 30 day sentence and it's going to happen probably in a year and a half. So, you know, so even if that does happen, it's it seems like a kind of a lot of dust to kick up for a little bit of noise. But a week ago, I might have said, I don't know if we've got a a ballsy enough DOJ for this. But with the seditious conspiracy indictments from Matthew Graves in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, I feel like who would be the ones uh, that would be the office that would be responsible for indicting. They indicted Bannon. They're still considering whether or not to indict Meadows. Maybe maybe one six is waiting to see how that goes since he was the chief of staff, but he's not a member of Congress. So it doesn't really track. Mm -hmm. But I feel like this D.C. U.S. attorney might have some chutzpah, have enough chutzpah to actually indict these members of Congress. But the worry being if they don't, if he doesn't, if they don't that could weaken the congressional subpoena, but I don't see how you could weaken it any more than it's already weakened.
4: No, it is tissue paper weak already. And, you know, I was just on the readout a few minutes ago. And again, I raised the idea of inherent contempt. Mm -hmm. And even Barb McQuaid, who's much more circumspect, not to mention way smarter than me, agreed. It may be time to take that tool out of the toolbox to try to compel testimony. Because remember, The Mark Meadows of the world, he's already thumbed his nose at the House Select Committee. He said, I ain't testifying. So he was referred for possible prosecution. If the D.C. U.S. attorney indicts him, as I hope he does, all that means is then there will be a long protracted criminal prosecution that could result in him getting no less than 30 days in prison, no more than a year in prison. So what does that get the House Select Committee by way of relevant information? Bupkis. That's what it gets them. But you know what? If you use your own lawful power of inherent contempt, oh, Mark Meadows didn't come. You send the sergeant at arms, as supplemented by the Capitol Police, out to take Mark Meadows into custody. You put him in one of the four lovely jail cells at Capitol Police headquarters until he agrees to testify and purge the contempt. Let him file suit, AG. Let him say, I don't like the way you did that. I don't think it comports with my due process rights, because you know what we have on our side? We have Supreme Court precedent, albeit from the 1930s, saying this is a lawful power of Congress. So let's do it, because if we don't do it, we're just playing against ourselves, ourselves being the people who love democracy and care about its health and vitality.
3: Yeah, or you could even pass some constitutional due process by way of a resolution that would only require a majority of votes in the House of Representatives. I know that Ted Lieu has written one up, but it doesn't offer any confinement. It just offers really heavy fines. I think you need to go with the confinement. And that's why I'm I think if Department of Justice would come in and subpoena these folks to a grand jury and they failed to show up, then we have civil contempt. And that's what happened with McDougal, right? When she was jailed for an additional 18 months. During whitewater, that's uh, for some reason, the civil contempt and that branch of government has a much stronger subpoena power than Congress, even though they're not supposed to by the Constitution. But something I think needs to be done. Let's shift gears a little bit. Right here at the end of the day, we found out we've got subpoenas for the crack and elite strike force members of Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, traffic court lawyer, and um, Sidney Powell, who's under federal criminal investigation in D.C. right now by Merrick Garland. And then, of course, Boris Epstein, who's just a, a fantastic fella. But he was on the phone with Trump from the Willard, as was Rudy Giuliani. And and so we've got those subpoenas now. And and I think, you know, legally speaking, because neither of them are members of Congress. Meadows was touchy because he was chief of staff. But here are actual subpoenas where you could make comfortably, I think, criminal referrals to the Department of Justice if they fail to come in. I don't think we're going to get any truthful testimony out of these guys, but they have at least been subpoenaed.
4: Yeah. And these are, on the one hand, they're important subpoenas. Why? Because it shows that the investigative circle is tightening and it's tightening around who? Donald Trump. And I hope to heck, AG, we get to start talking soon about what's called the hub and spoke conspiracy, which is a lesser used model of conspiracy. We typically use a pyramid, right? Think of the mob. You got the wise guys and the foot soldiers. You got the lieutenants. You got the, and the underboss is the consigliere. You got the big mob boss. You know, those conspiracies look like pyramids. We also use them to go after corrupt organizations, corrupt corporations, and businesses. Think the Trump organization. That's kind of the way it's structured. But then you've got something called the hub and spoke conspiracy. I don't want to take up too much time because I hope we're going to get to, to talk in great detail about this in the future because Donald Trump is at the hub and you have all these spokes that radiate out. They may not be in a conspiracy with one another, but they are all in a conspiracy with Donald Trump because they're all doing his dirty bidding to try to help him retain power unconstitutionally. You know, so whether it's Jeffrey Clark sprouting out this way by trying to corrupt and weaponize the Department of Justice or John Eastman this way with his treasonous memo or Bannon and others who are at the Willard Hotel. Or maybe, or the Oath Keepers in their own little seditious conspiracy, or Jenna Ellis over here trying to give, you know, legal cover for Mike Pence to disregard electoral college votes, or Sidney Powell. I mean, that's what is, or the false electors, the fraudulent electors, right? It's a hub-and-spoke conspiracy, and I hope the Department of Justice starts getting after it. I believe they're already investigating it. I got way off track. Let me go back to these subpoenas, because they're important right? Because the criminal circle is tightening around Donald Trump, but I don't want to rain on the subpoena parade because these subpoenas are only as good as the evidence they produce. And look at what the Mark Meadows subpoena has produced, not a whole heck of a lot, nothing by way of testimony. So let's see what these subpoenas produce. I'm with you that these people should not only be referred for prosecution, which is wonderful, punish them, If they decide to refuse to comply with the subpoena, but let's also use the inherent power of contempt to compel in real time their testimony. Here's the other thing. These characters, all of them, are likely going to have Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination. So Giuliani, we all know, is under federal investigation. Heck, a federal court judge in New York concluded there was probable cause to believe there was evidence of crime in Rudy's electronic devices. We know he's under criminal investigation. It is not a heavy lift for Rudy to walk into the House Select Committee and say, uh yeah, I invoke my Fifth Amendment rights. So if you know his lawyers will undoubtedly advise him to do that, I know it's a bad look, but you know, most of these witnesses, I think, have a viable Fifth Amendment to invoke. And that is one way they can lawfully dodge the subpoena, lawfully avoid testifying before the House Select Committee.
3: Mm -hmm. And us not hearing that uh, Rudy Giuliani might be criminally being investigated by Department of Justice for his participation in the insurrection doesn't necessarily mean that it isn't happening because in those seized devices, which were taken in April, by the way, well after January 6th, Barbara Jones, a special master, is going through them looking for I almost said fraud crime exceptions, but looking for executive or attorney client, attorney client privilege. And if there are uh, crimes uncovered in that. If the Department of Justice in the warrant to seize those devices wasn't already looking for January 6th stuff, all they need to do is, is, is issue another warrant to get those materials. They don't have to call him in. They don't have to subpoena him. We don't have to hear about it. It could all be real hush hush behind the scenes. And then the same with Sidney Powell. I noticed in her subpoena they didn't mention the fact that 27 of her of her crack and lawsuit plaintiffs are also people who signed their names to fake election certificates. That wasn't brought up in her subpoena letter which made me kind of wonder, hmm, is Department of Justice already investigating that? And is that something that the committee spoke with the Department of Justice about? Perhaps to leave that one alone for now? Or, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure how it works. But, you know, like you've told us several times, if you're a prosecutor, you want to get that information first before you release these witnesses to any kind of a congressional committee.
4: Yeah. And that's really the curiosity to me is how it is the Department of Justice is letting the House Select Committee, no offense, but a bunch of members of Congress, a bunch of politicians who are not necessarily investigating this as a prosecutor would, how are they letting members of Congress be the first ones to put their hands, so to speak, on witnesses and develop their sworn testimony? Because that can be perilous to a, a successful prosecution down the road? That's a curiosity. But listen, Merrick Garland and his top officials understand all this. They know all this. I have no doubt in my mind they have a plan. It may be an unconventional plan, but you know they're executing the plan in the way they see fit. And just because it's not following the normal models, I don't equate that with they're not investigating Trump and company.
3: No. And Zoe Lofgren told I think it was Chris Hayes it was somebody on MSNBC. Zoe Lofgren, who's on the committee, said that many of the lawyers running the one six committee and doing the questioning are former U.S. attorneys. So I, I thought that that was very uh, I thought that was very interesting because that would mean you know what? I don't know what it would mean, but it's it's an interesting well, let me point. Add, let
4: me add an important piece to this. You know who the chief legal counsel is for the 1-6 committee? It's a guy named Tim Hefe. Okay. Tim is a longtime colleague of mine. We started together at the U.S. Attorney's Office. He was part of the RICO prosecution that I was part of. There were three RICO trials. He did the first, I did the second, and the third. I know him extremely well. And I'll tell you, he is all about a an aggressive investigation to hold all wrongdoers accountable. And he's a trial lawyer's trial lawyer. I've watched him try cases and was inspired by the way he prosecuted cases. I saw him give an opening statement in part one of our RICO trial against the biggest gang ever prosecuted in Washington, D.C., the Kevin Gray, Rodney Moore crew. They ran the drug trade. They ran guns. They were known by the Washington Post as Murder Incorporated, Murder Inc., because they killed 30 people, including members of their own conspiracy who tried to leave the family. I watched Tim give the opening statement in that RICO trial. That trial lasted one year in federal court before Judge Lambert, who I liked very much. And let me tell you, Tim knows what he's doing. And he's the chief legal counsel. He was um, uh, general counsel for the University of Virginia. I think he took a leave of absence from that work to come be chief legal counsel for the one six committee. I'm telling you, hold on tight because he knows what he's doing.
3: Excellent. Excellent. And I I do hope, despite there seeming to be signs or reporting that the committee is working closely with the Department of Justice, I can't see former U.S. attorneys sitting and working on the one six committee without making sure that things are cleared up with the, <laughs> with the Department of Justice. Like it won't just slip to your mind, but you're a former U.S. attorney. It doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. All right. Thank you very much. Everybody check out Justice Matters. Glenn Kirshner, I appreciate your time. Thanks, AJ. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. All right, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good
0: news? Everyone, the good news.
3: And if you have any good news or confessions, corrections, anything you want to send in, photos, we love pod pet Tax. want to play what the mutt or find the cat, whatever you want to send us, you can do that by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Um, Let me do the first two here because they're pretty short. Sound good? You got it. Sounds great. All right. First up from Jim, correction and a request. Please don't say the seven states sent those slates of false electors, New Mexico, which has had a solid blue state government and five of six Dems in congressional delegation didn't send them. The seditious lying Republican state party, which is a permanent minority here, sent them. And it was a surprise to the rest of the state when we heard about it. (laughs) I got you, Jim. Uh, Yeah, these are all uh, fake electors sent by shitbags, not anything official. Next up from D, no pronouns given. Hello, AG, love the pod. Just an FYI on the Cheeto Benito tweet about Pence. It was actually at two twenty four Eastern time during the insurrection, further putting Pence in danger. I think the screenshots were from someone in England, possibly. Oh,
2: all right. Ah, interesting. Makes sense. There you go. Thank you. All right. Shall well, I grab the, the next, next two? Yeah. You got it. Oh, perfect. I got pet pet ticks. Uh, pet pet ticks. You heard me. Pod mm-hmm. pet picks. All right, (laughs) this is from Mary, (laughs) whatever. This is from Mary, pronouns she and her. Hello, AG, Dana, and Amy. Good news for the week is that I was able to donate $25 to my local animal shelter earlier this week in memory of Betty White, whose 100th birthday was on January 17th. I wish that I could have given more, but I'm glad that I was able to honor her memory in this way. I'd also like to point out that Betty White and Michelle Obama share the same of birthdays. So, you know, those are two badass women Mm -hmm. that have done amazing things. Anyway, I just wanted to point that out as a a host of the podcast. Okay. Brandy, this is from Brandy, pronouns she and her. Just started listening to your podcast and loving it. My coworkers probably think I'm crazy with my sudden bursts of laughter, but I'm fine with that. Here is my pet tax. This is Doc, our 16-year-old Jack Russell and his little brother was Shoshe. I kind of love that. Was which means daring warrior in Lakota.
3: Hmm. Oh my
2: gosh, wonderful. He's so smart and full of energy. He keeps the old man on his toes. He's a 2-year-old papillion. Papillon. How do you say that? Papillon. Papillon. Thank you. I knew that the LL was not a hard L, but I couldn't remember. A 2-year-old Papillon. My husband and I love going home after a long day and spending time with our babies. Look how cute <laughs> this dog is. And so see, because Papillon is French for
3: butterfly. Oh. So does that make sense with the ears? Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Papillon. Dog. Look. Oh, oh the face. The little smile on the Papillon's face is just so adorable. Oh, Look these dogs there. are beautiful. Thank you for this. So cute. Thank you for sending those in. Oh, next up, it's kitty. Roberta, pronounce she and her to the wrangler of the Flying Hope monkeys, beans, queens, and fellow Leguminati. Follow up, Gizzy. <laughs> Gizzy is pronounced like Lizzie, as in Liz Warren. Yeah, I know, but is it Gizzy or Jizzy? Yeah, we're not.
2: We got the end. Ag's a little confused about the beginning because Jizzy doesn't sound like it should be the name of an animal. Gizzy, okay. on the other hand, because Ag sometimes thinks like a very teenage boy. I do. <laughs> or you know what? Also a teenage girl, because we think they think about this <laughs> stuff, too. Uh, so that was the confusion, Roberta. So we'll finish this. But if you can can clear up the first part for us, that would be fantastic.
3: <laughs> hard G, hard G, gif, hard G, gif, uh, pronounced like Lizzie as in Liz Warren, whom I voted for and adored. She was my first choice, too. I love you gals like flying monkeys love ripe bananas. I'm leaving you with a pod pet pick tax. I have a Louis Gohmert is dumber then. Louis Gohmert is dumber than himself because no one is as dumb as that useless mass. That's all right. I
2: like that one. <laughs> look at the
3: kitties. Oh, there's, some, there's one in a box. That's very good. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that orange tabby is a- adorable. Look at that man cat face. I love that that kitty
2: in a box is very asleep, too. Soup's comfortable. <laughs> Super comfortable. <laughs> yep. All right. Do so you take the next one and I'll take the last one? You got it. We look forward to hearing back from you again, Roberta. We need clarification. All right. This is from Mommy Salami. Pronouns she and her hi beans queens wanted to extend the holiday season with my favorite roll recipe. Our family makes these every Thanksgiving, and making them for my kids reminds me of loaves of braided bread my mother made in our kitchen. It's an easy recipe and so worth it. I'm just laughing, mommy slami, because in my mom's kitchen, braided bread was challah, okay. challah, challah. All right, for pet tax, meet Nora, loving our weekly drive up the coast. And Stella will go anywhere as long as there are puppuccinos somewhere available usually so love the show we have the recipe for the potato onion rolls which already sound delicious because apparently i'm craving carbs Mm. an adorable dog with her head out the window and some (sighs) tongue and there's some chow chow in there because there's there's
3: definitely (laughs) some chow chow in this dog
2: (laughs) (laughs) look at that tongue oh my gosh so sweet cute oh and look at the fluffers Looks like part cattle dog, right? A little bit of lab maybe? Oh yeah, for sure. Black lab so. and cattle dog. I think you're right. There's definitely Healer in there. Look at the paws. Oh, all, hey, oh. So cute.
3: Little spots. All right, thanks for that submission. Really appreciate it. Next up. From Dale, I have sort of a misheard mutt. Around the first grade, we listened to a song about dog breeds. The line I remember is I'm a chi 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 chihuahua. Not being aware of Chihuahuas at the time, I thought there was a breed of dog named a ch chi ch ch chihuahua
2: Nice. Well, there you have
3: it. It sounds like the beginning of The Bionic Man. Chihuahua. And I'm thinking Monchi, monchi also cute I love my Monchi-Ch. chihuahua
2: Oh, man, we're loopy. I like it. I
3: know. I know. Did you get a very long nap yesterday? I I was up pretty late. I didn't get I didn't get as long of a nap as I wanted, but I might try again today.
2: I think I was asleep by 945. I woke up at seven o'clock this morning. <laughs> so, Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, just a quick uh, reminder. Uh, tell the ones you love them that you love them. It's more important than ever right now to to express that. So you never know. Moments can change. Things can happen. So tell those people around you that you love them. 100%. Agree. Here, here. I second that motion.
3: And until tomorrow, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G.
2: And I've been D.G. And them's the beans.
3: Refried beans. I like refried beans.
0: Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP,